We're going to move on to chapter 25 of Deuteronomy this morning. And we'll be reading a few verses from that in a few moments. During the week, my attention was drawn to something which I have seen on many occasions and never really thought too much about it, never really believed it. You'll hear people saying, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. When they're talking about churches meeting together and having different doctrines, they'd say, in in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. The new evangelicals, of course, and their philosophy is often stated by this uh, dictum. It was uh, apparently attributed, first of all, to Augustine. I was thinking, if it was Augustine, beware. He was responsible for many atrocities against believers in his time. And his legacy lives on in the world. Many whom uh, who who quote him, you get a lot of people quoting Augustine, a lot of Calvinists and things quote uh, Augustine. But they seem to have no difficulty ignoring his false teaching and become very selective. He was responsible mainly for formulating the doctrine of salvation by the church only and by means of the sacraments often compelling by fear and cruelty people to become members of the church the inquisition later on brought in by Rome was the natural result of his uh, philosophy and his doctrine the the Moravians were, were people quite a few centuries ago and they had this uh, philosophy of in in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things charity they were very good people but they refused to reject the heresy of infant baptism over and above the absolute truth of God's word and this carries on right to the present day. It's been adopted heartily by many of the modern new evangelicals. They might stand for some of the cardinal points of Christianity, the virgin birth and various other things, but they refuse to make an issue of the whole counsel of God. We have Paul when he was uh, leaving the elders at uh, Ephesus. As he took leave of, leave of them uh, in Acts twenty twenty seven, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. Jesus commanded his disciples to teach converts to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Matthew 28.20 Paul when he was writing to Timothy. Instructed Timothy to keep the truth. Without spot. Unrebukable. 
until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy 6.13 it says, I give thee charge, I command thee in the sight of God. That was very strong. In the sight of God, who quickeneth all things and before Jesus Christ. In the sight of God and before Jesus Christ, that thou keep this commandment without spot, spotless, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a spot is something very small. To a teenager, a spot is a disaster. But a spot is something small, seemingly insignificant. But nowadays, we are ever so conscious of spots when we have been sunbathing. Cancer can start with just a little spot. And so can false teaching. Where is this teaching of non-essentials and essentials in Scripture? Can anyone show where the Scripture encourages the believer to stand for the cardinal truth and downplay any so-called non-essentials? Jude instructed every believer to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. He doesn't make any difference between what bits of the faith we should uphold. The obvious meaning is that whatever aspect of the faith is under attack, God's people should rally to its defense rather than pretending it to be a non-essential. Sadly, I find that those advocating this approach are sometimes the ones promoting uh, sacramental salvation and infant baptism and the like. The scriptures are implicit. Try them. First John 4 verse 1. Mark them. Romans 16 verse 17. Mark those who teach anything other than what the apostles taught. Mark them and avoid them. Rebuke them. Titus 1.13 John, who uh, was regarded as the, the, the apostle who preached love, what does he say? Receive them not. Receive them not. And Paul writing to Timothy from such turn away. Our testimony regarding our position must not be like muffled bells, but clear and distinct as the scriptures. Shall we obey God or man? And these thoughts just came into my head as I read about that little dictum earlier on. But let's turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and we read from verse 13. Deuteronomy 25, reading from verse 13. <clears throat> Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have. 
that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things, and all that do unrighteously, are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Interesting verses. You know, over the years, we've collected bits and pieces, and we have some old pewter measures. If you look around the rim of these, you will see an assay mark indicating the guaranteed amount of the volume the measure held. And this is guaranteed by, by royal authority. Similarly, if you look at old brass weights used in shops and markets, they too have been assayed and marked. It also applied to, to measuring rods and tapes, all marked by the officer of the crown by royal authority. And there are still officers who go around checking scales and measures all over the country to ensure that no one is being sold short by the sellers of various products. Why is this elaborate and costly system in place? Well, the answer is simple. It's found in Scripture. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Genesis 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Even before Noah's time, God looked down and saw this sad fact and you know, man has not changed. It's still happening. There was a report in the Guardian a, a while ago, and, and this is this is very interesting. Actually, it just proves the point. Written by a man called Bruce Trelaw, he did the report. Excess baggage charges imposed on passengers at major UK airports are often based on faulty weighing scales. And this is a report from the Trading Standards Officer. He describes the, the practice as diabolical. The practice of some check-in staff being paid bonuses related to excess baggage charges as an incentive to their staff or agency workers at check-in desks to keep up earnings from baggage charges. Following complaints from consumers cons suspicious about excess charges, a spot check at Gatwick Airport found almost one-fifth of the baggage weighing machines gave false readings. And this could mean that large numbers of travellers have been unfairly charged excess fees. Even big companies, Gatwick Airport, having false scales in order to make money. So it's not surprising that it was also happening in the time of Moses. I remember some years ago when I was involved in discussions as a consultant regarding the sale of some licensed premises, it was exceedingly difficult to obtain an accurate turnover figure. The owner appeared to keep two sets of books maybe three actually, one for the taxman, another for himself. 
Of course, one of these was without doubt false, but probably they both were. He probably had a third one, which was the accurate one, which he, he kept in the safe. People are always trying to fiddle other people by false weights, false scales, false books, all an abomination unto the Lord. Should People should have taken to heart verse 15. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For the Israelite, there was a definite benefit and blessing in following God's law. You know, I believe that unjust weights, scales, books, and such like are still an abomination unto the Lord. Proverbs 11 verse 1, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You want to be a delight unto the Lord, keep your books right, keep your income tax returns right. Oh yes, you might say, I'm not measuring things out. But you're measuring things out in relation to your tax returns and other things. You know, there are lessons here in these verses, uh, and we may learn some of them, regarding weights and measures. You know, these few chapters we've been going through, there's very practical advice in them. We had them about pledges. We had the fact last week about clearing things up before the sun goes down. And we were saying, don't go to bed having had a row. Don't go to bed angry. Don't let it fester until the morning. Things like that. Very practical. And this was very practical advice here too for the Israelites. Our God, you know, is a God who weighs and measures things. He weighs people in his balances. Way back in Daniel 5, you'll know the story so well. You read of the great feast of King Belshazzar. And at the height of the, the feast, he called for the vessels which had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And he asked for them to be brought in so that he could drink from them. And his wives and his concubines and his drinking friends could indulge in a drunken reverie. But God intervened. God had weighed this man's life in a balance. And he had tipped over just that little bit too far. And a hand appeared and wrote on the wall. Meany, meany, tickle you farson. Nobody knew what it meant. Got the wise men in, nobody knew. And then we know that Daniel was brought in. And he was able to interpret through the gift that God gave him 
And it was, thou hast been weighed in the balance and found wanting. This man did not come up to the required measure, the required weight. His life was a false weight. And therefore an abomination unto the Lord. And God is still measuring people today. He is weighing me to see if I have two different measures in my bag. In my life. Do I have a good side and a bad side? You know, if you turn to Amos chapter 5, uh, chapter 8, and verse 5, you'll see <coughs> something quite interesting. Amos 5, and uh, 8, and verse 5. God had been speaking and showing that Israel had failed and God spoke in verse 4 hear this O ye that swallow up the needy even to make the poor of the land to fail and these people were the rich and he was saying in verse 5 when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit well the merchants they were keeping the Sabbath they were keeping God's holy days but it was a sham they just wanted to get it over and get back to their false trading and cheating both the people and above all they were cheating God they were prepared to make merchandise of the poor they had a show they wanted to get the Sabbath away so that they could get back to making money with false balances and false measures and God speaking in Micah 6.11 we have another interesting couple of verses Micah 6.11 going back to verse 10 God speaking, are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count, count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag full of deceitful weights? Oh, by their lives and by their actions and by the way they treated other people, the Israelites were being an abomination unto the Lord. Deceit and making merchandise had taken over their lives. Materialism had become their God. Just as we see today all around us, and sadly 
in churches as well. Making merchandise of the people. Isaiah shows it all as, as this in Isaiah 46 verse 6. They lavish gold out of the bag. Out of this bag in which they have their deceitful weights. And they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance. And hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. Today people are worshipping materialism worshipping the gold we see it all around us listen to this old hymn nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption no riches of earth could have saved my poor soul the blood of the cross is my only foundation the death of my saviour now maketh me whole nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption. The guilt on my conscience too heavy had grown. The blood of the cross is my only salvation. The death of my Saviour alone could atone. Nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption. The holy commandment forbade me draw near. The blood of the cross is my only foundation the death of my saviour removeth my fear nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption the way into heaven could not thus be bought the blood of the cross is my only foundation the death of my saviour redemption hath wrought i am redeemed but not with silver I am bought, but not with gold, bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, precious price of love untold. You know, as we watch television and listen to people today, people today are arrogant. Many people are arrogant. And we see it as we see young people today. Unfortunately, a lot of them seem to be very arrogant. And they have very little time sometimes for other people. Hannah had a wonderful prayer when she realized that her prayers had been answered. She prayed a wonderful prayer in. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And she, she says, verse 2, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Oh, she had put her faith completely and totally in God, who was her rock. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. God is weighing the actions of men. 
is measuring to see if our actions come up to his standards. Like just weights. James, in chapter 2, speaking of having divers weights as to how we treat each other in, in church, the rich and the poor. He's saying if a, if a rich man comes into the, the church and you treat him well and the poor man, you tell him just to go over and stand there. You've been partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts. Your actions are being weighed by God. And he will judge and weigh our actions. Go to Proverbs 16. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. A man will think he's alright. But God is weighing what his spirit is thinking. What's deep inside the man. He may be appearing to do the right thing. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Then the advice follows in the next verse. Commit thy works unto the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord. And thy thoughts shall be established. Very wise advice coming from Proverbs. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 10. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, reminds them that there are those who instead of measuring themselves against God's standard, they measure themselves against themselves. And others like themselves. Chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Well, there's a little group of men there and they compare each other with themselves and then they compare them with the guy beside them but they're all in the same group. That's not wise, he says. That's not wise. He says you should be measuring yourself against God's standards. Verse 13. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us. That's the standard we should be applying to our lives. Not the measure of the chap next door or the chap we, we work with, Man's thoughts and imaginations are always on the wrong side of the balance. James 1.5 If any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. You know, I was thinking about this. Sometimes we buy, we go into Asda, some of the shops, and we buy a box of porridge. When we get it home, we open it up, and it's only about three quarters full. It was apparently, when packed, it has been shunted around warehouses, and it's been in lorries, and it's all shaken down. When we open it, it's only three quarters full. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And God gives to us in abundance. Luke 6.38 It says, the way God gives is good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We sing that song. It says, the Lord saved me. I'm as happy as can be. My cup's full and running over. When God was going to fill us with his love and with his grace, he gives it to us. He, he, he presses it down. He gives us a shake. And then he fills it up again. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. In a way, God doesn't need a measure because he's going to fill us up 